Face in the Fresh Vibe Podcast. I'm your host, Ro Hattie, coming at you from Treaty 7 Territory in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Métis Region 3. How's Season 8 so far? Yeah. So far, so good. We're only now the second episode in. In this episode, I feature Rose J. Percy. Can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. Don't forget to rate and review and add this podcast to your feed. All those reviews help raise the profile of voices. And I usually draw in voices from the margin. So it's important to get the word out. In this episode, we talk about decolonizing pretty much everything. We solve it all. 40 minutes, done. We make jokes about instant rice. Then we roll into conversation on cultivating rest and imagination. How those can be used as pieces to resistance. We then linger around the ideas of finding your vocation and uncovering what makes you you. Then we spend the second half around somatic liberation. Hey, liberation of the body. And then end with storytelling for liberation. There's a lot of liberation in this, so you don't want to miss it. Let's jump in and meet Rose J. Percy. Oh, and by the way, you might hear some thunder in the background. Don't worry about it just adds to the ambiance. Rose, welcome to the Faith in the Fresh Vibe podcast. I'm so excited that we're going to talk about all things rest and imagination, and we're going to solve all the questions of decolonization in a short 45 minutes. Yeah, that sounds like doable. We could probably wrap it up by like 7 p.m. and just, yeah, call it a day. We'll add an accompanying study guide of some type and... Uh, maybe a cookbook. And maybe sell it. Maybe yeah. a cookbook too, like... Um, oh, a cookbook. Like dismantling That's the kitchen a, cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that because I have... A, I was thinking, how can I up my social media game? And I was like, I cook every day. <laughs> Why don't I put this and like as a reclamation? Of course, this has never been done before, but a reclamation of like the foods of your people. And because I'm multi-ethnic and have many people, it would be like a crisscrossing across all of Asia and a little bit of the Caribbean too. And yeah, that would have been anyways. That'd be I think so I'm late to that cool. That'd be so cool. It could be just like an autobiographical journey for you to just like yeah. write this cookbook. Anyways, I'm notorious for coming on other people's podcasts and interviewing them. So I'm going to stop now. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that's all right. I do the same thing. I do the same thing. I guess we, both of us could just like get nothing done. <laughs> Let's talk about food, which is, I think it is an important thing of decolonization. But the question I ask all guests is... Uh, who's where are you situated right now and whose traditional lands are you currently on? Yeah, that's a good question. And I know in some sense that like I'm still learning how to like name uh, those, mm -hmm. um, mm. name the lands and like do the acknowledgements. Um, but one of the things about living in New England is like almost every place is somehow named after the people who the land was mm -hmm. stolen from. So 
I'm in Massachusetts, which is the land of the Massachusetts people. Um, and I'm from like I, my hometown is Pawtucket, which is also named by mm-hmm. you know. So um, yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways it serves as a reminder, but because it's in front of your face, I guess sometimes it makes it so that's easy to forget sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you are in the city of Boston. Boston town. That's what I call it affectionately, but not affectionately. Yeah. Is it like, uh, affectionately, not affectionately? Is it like, uh, you're, you're cussing it out as you're being endearing? <laughs> yes. It's like one of those. <laughs> it needs a particular tone. It does. <laughs> <laughs> um, another question to help situate listeners and to just grasp a little bit about, uh, your story is, is a story, uh, Tell us a story about your people. I feel like I have a people that maybe extends beyond me in my lifetime. Then there's the people mm. that I'm in community with because I'm continually cultivating those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think to begin, my people are the people of an island um, nation known as Aiti or Haiti in the English pronunciation. Um, and my people are people who uh, understood and knew their worth as um, inherently free, born free, and mm-hmm. made to be free in the image of God, and fought for liberation, yes. and in liberating yes. themselves, paved the way for the liberation of other people, the inspiration for liberation throughout Latin America, the U.S., the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that's what it means to be to be from Haiti and. Um, we also make the best rice, hands down. Like, I don't care. Like, the best the rice. The best rice. Shucks. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I'm not willing to fight anybody on that. It's just true. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fact. It's just true. <laughs> What's in the best rice? <laughs> so we make this rice called Dili Jean Jean, which is, um, we use like, like black dried mushrooms and like you boil it in the water first with like whatever beans you use like was lime beans lima beans or or peas and the water turns black like so the rice uh, is black and it's yeah. just uh-huh. i mean like if you're not haitian or have never encountered it you're like what is this yeah. why is the rice black but then you eat it and you're like oh my gosh my life has been forever changed so i highly recommend Jean for everyone listening I'm trying to think, like, where would I even find that other than to hit up my Haitian friends? Oh, yeah. Be like, I often encounter it in, like, celebrations because it's, like, such a, in, like, it's such an mm-hmm. intricate food to make that I think you yeah. just, like, around the table when, like, people really have the time to, like, put in, you know, yeah. put their foot into it, you know? So, yeah. It's, like, every culture has those meals that, and, and I find, like, it, it, especially the Caribbean side, my Trini side the foods are like that they're so time intensive like they take all day yes. to make and that's just part of yes. it it's just part of the experience like not only learn how to make that but it is the the social fabric that is drawing community together hmm. everyone has a rice and peas eh? it's true it's like i kind of feel like the world is united through our different kinds of rice and we could all find peace if we could all just embrace the commonality of um realizing we all have rice we all have rice 
mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. it's like i mean like you can you can take that too far and end up like in the whole colorblindness territory there but we could all instant rice yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me some of that instant rice. Instant rice isn't speaking to a particular metaphor about what, you know, the Mm, time intensive, you know, work of making (laughs) rice in other cultures. And then, bam, here's this product called instant rice. Just throw it in the microwave for two minutes. And next thing you know, you're done. There's something about that. (laughs) That's an essay, at least. I got to write it down. Put that in your your cookbook autobiography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's a chapter. No doubt. That's a Someone must have written that. But, oh, yeah, that's a fantastic juxtaposition. Okay, you take that. But if I take it, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, quote you. We can can just, you know. Rose said. We co-created this. (laughs) Yeah, our our rice and peas in Trinidad. And I wonder, because I think it's French. It's called Plow. Do you have a version made uh, with pigeon peas? Oh, yeah, we do. Mm Mm-hmm um uh, uh uh brown sugar so it turns the rice brown and uh what we call pudna which is cuban thyme i, I don't oh. know what else it would be like those two pieces but i like you probably have the same thing but called something I'm different have to look into this and so those are different pieces cilantro pudna and pigeon peas rice chicken mm. into the pot Brown sugar, brown it up first. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, Haitians, we love our I sugar. For sure you... We love our sugar, but we yeah. don't put it in our rice. But our this is the only yeah. sugar rice dish okay. that I can think of. It's uh, interesting. You are currently entering into another school year, and I asked you before. I was like, "Oh, so you're gonna wrap up your M Div?" And you're like, "No, I finished my M Div, and I'm doing another. You're being drawn into another master program. Um, I think for a very specific, I, I assume, specific reason. But tell us about the program that you're now entering in, and uh, what the what the dream is associated with it. Wow. Well, uh, one thing about me is I love to learn. And I'm almost uncomfortable with not learning. <laughs> hmm. And like, I, mean, I had a great time in the classes I took during my MDiv. I mean, it was still really hard in a lot of ways, but isolating the learning parts and the journey, intellectual journey and conversation partners I had during it, it was a good time. Hmm. What's been interesting about deciding to go back is like I'm focusing on spiritual formation. Um, and particularly thinking about like spiritual practices, vocation, and um, like strategies for healing traumas, particularly like racial trauma. Um, so those yeah. are like my main focuses like within this program. Um, but a lot of it is just like realizing that I'm like on my own timeline. For a while, it was like I'm gonna finish this MDiv. I'm gonna take a year off, and then I'm going to consider going back for um a phd at some point and or and a demon or something yeah. and then the time off i would like reflect and and rest and whatever and yeah. i had like a summer off and like just the summer alone i don't know just so many new hobbies now and things i've just been learning just because i'm like i needed to learn something and gotta do something and like maybe there's a restlessness in me that i'm like 
that I'm, you know, I hope I will find a way through some point in life. But there's also like, I realized that like, there's this like activity in me, like that doesn't die down when there's nothing else going on that needs the space mm. to live and breathe and have life. So there's that. What's great about the STM program versus the MDiv is like within the MDiv, like you have to take certain core requirements and that looks like, you know, a little bit of ethics, a little bit of theology, a little bit of, um, depending yeah. on your context, ministry or some history classes or whatever. So you yeah. get like a little bit of everything. And luckily for me, like, I love a little bit of everything. That's like my dream in education. Like someone says, hey, do you want to study this? And I'm like, yes. Can I do it in 16 different ways? Because that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah. once I'm presented with lots of opportunities, I'm like, yes, let's do it. Um, one thing that sucks about that is like when you graduate and you're like, so what do I do now with all of these different things that I can do? Yeah, um, yeah. I realized like one, I love that journey for me for the space I was at, but my next journey is calling me to focus on a very particular thing. So spiritual yeah. formation it is, and it's lining up a lot with the work that I'm doing mm. um, with the podcast that I host and with um, the nonprofits that I'm a part of where we're focusing on like co-creating sacred space for women of color and non-binary folks of color who are either disabled or queer. Um, so there's a lot that I can like bring into this program with me and like commit to as like my lens for, for focusing and working um, that I'm excited about. So that's what's going on. Let's stick with the picture you were starting, you glimpsed to us, and that was the calling, you, know, you didn't use the word calling, uh, vocation unto spiritual formation. Draw us into your work now, what you're trying to embody, what you are trying to share, really. Um, that, that's, I think, a, a, a good word. Uh, share with others. You on your website, you have a a quote, a tagline, a description of what you are bringing into the world. And one of the taglines is midwife of rest and imagination, uh, which is another glimpse to uh, what you're trying to create for um, for those you've already named. Tell us more about what that means and then also who are you picturing when it comes to rest and imagination yeah so some good questions and the journey for finding that tagline spans like almost a year um hmm. maybe two for one like i've never enjoyed the word master um, you know, as a person with melanated skin, just rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> it's just not, it's, you know, yeah. So the idea of like getting a master of, of divinity made me cringe yeah, a little yeah. bit. And like, I'm a big um, nerd about like pedagogy, teaching, and the spaces that we can formulate to like teach for liberation or to like introduce people to the tools of learning and critical thinking to liberate themselves more like more like I guess I mean, that's a better way of saying it um and so 
in the journey of like learning about critical pedagogy um, and like theologies of imagination, um, which is a whole field of really cool stuff, you know, just helping us rethink um, and explore the images that we commit to to form our social imaginations that affect the world. Um, in the midst of all of that, Willie James Jennings's book, After Whiteness, which threw me for like, it was wild. Cause I remember there was a point where like people were posting on social media, it was everywhere. They were like posting like it was this light read that you could bring to the beach. And I'm like, it's, it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, it is short. It's but short. <laughs> it's dense. Yeah. But it's dense. And he has this whole chapter about like the pedagogy of the plantation. Um, yeah. Oh, and that imagery. And so the word master never mm. really sat with me well. Yeah. So that was like one journey. And then the parts about rust, for one, like I like to say on the podcast that like, we're exploring rest as vocation. Um, vocation for me is about uncovering the things that make you, you. And some yeah. part of responding to a vocation in a call is responding to something that is true about your self-worth, externalizing itself and, and becoming either some, a part of your life through your work or what you do in your free time or whatever. So vocation is not for me just tied to yeah. this occupation. So good. It's tied and to even even the thunder right. agrees. The thunder agrees. <laughs> the heavens <laughs> proclaim. Amen. They witness it. Right. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I think about vocation, I'm thinking about like life. Um and so rest of vocation came to me as the I don't know, like the primary commitment for the work I want to do, um, but also the person I want to be when I am not working. Um, yeah, so when I put together the phrase midwife rest and imagination, it really, it, like it began with re rethinking what it means to be a master of something or anything. Um, mm. And I kind of sort of said it in this live podcast recording um, at the end of May. Um, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want, I like the term master divinity, but I'd rather be a midwife of divinity. So from there, uh -huh. you know, there you yeah, yeah, we are just, and we're just, yeah, just done with that language of mastering. And not to say like I'd want all the institutions to immediately change their language because, you know, if anything, working in anti-racism and justice work has proven to me that like systems, like institutions and systems and white people in power don't need more language. They need to actually make changes. Mm. <laughs> they don't mm, need new language yeah, all the time. Yeah. Because it's so easy for, for them to commit to changing their language without changing like the structure of things. And for me, yeah. Um, the vision of like midwifing, rest and imagination. Um, you're not taking the role of being a master, but you're taking the role of being one who is wise or one who knows a particular way in process or um, has existed in the space of journeying with others through a process. And you're, you're lending people the strength to figure out how it is that an idea or a, a season of their lives um, is like working through them. And they, like one of the things that midwives do is they remind the pregnant women, like you have the strength to do this, or you can push, like you can, like, and so there's something about um, like working within a space of just like encouraging this like birthing process, both for helping navigate what rest looks like in our lives, but also how rest lends us towards going to spaces where we can dream better, dream the world we want to be in. 
because we don't get to the imagination part for me without rest as a like primary commitment. So this isn't spiritual formation midwifery. This is that like that's too narrow. It, it's embodied embodied rest midwifery unto Ooh. dreaming or uh, unto space for Ooh, those are all dream and words. imagination unto better. Yes. That sounds awesome. It's somatic liberation. Somatic liberation. Uh-huh. You're going to have to unpack that word. Yeah. So somatic has anything to do with the body. And I've been reading the words of like Redma, Mannequin, um, and he does like somatic abolition. As soon as I heard that phrase, I was like, what is that? I want to be part of that. Wherever that's happening, I want to be part mm. of it. Somatic mm. abolition, it's for me. <laughs> so I think there are ways where, like I've been in the world of like theology, like justice work in predominantly white space for a long time. And there are ways where like you realize that you could spend 85% of your time in those spaces just thinking about things. And you ain't yeah, doing nothing. Yeah. And you just, I don't know if you swear on this podcast, like you're just not doing shit. You're just like, yeah, people are just like, yeah. I don't know, but like, what if we did? You just end up just talking about things and sure, ad, yeah. ad nauseum. And yeah. And the part the problem with that is in the bodies of people of color in those spaces mm. where the urgency for action is most potent um what lingers with us is the pain of delayed justice and like denied mm, mm, like mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. reciprocity and like as i saw myself like what got me out of that like i'm, I'm always shouting out erna kim hackett and her liberated together cohorts mm. which she started in a new one she did a sparkle squad cohort for women in their 20s um to just kind of like women of color in their 20s to unpack uh, just whiteness and internalized oppression about being women in leadership, things like that. So um, that helped me get out of that space of just being a brain and just reflecting on how my how I'm thinking about things and into a space of thinking about how my body feels about things. And once I started to listen to my body, whoo, the number of ways my body was like, get me out of here. Yeah, it's yeah. time to go in the wrong place. it was time to go yeah. yesterday <laughs> yeah. uh, um and when you start listening and it's not to say that um hmm. i mean I'm, I'm i'm a firm believer that in that verse where jesus says love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength meaning that we i don't know imperative to be like whole people like to yes. To, yes. uh, to cherish and love like all parts of ourselves as we love ourselves, love others, love God. And so like, I do believe that there's like the search for balance. It like requires some somatic liberation for, for so many of us. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Because I whew, like for me, if it's not on my calendar to remember that I'm a body, I will forget. Like I have to remind myself to eat lunch and I have to remind myself when to do yoga have to set a timer when I'm working to get up and stand. Yeah. But there's just so many, so many things working against um, me remembering that, whether it's systems mm -hmm. or places. So practice practices, it. yeah. You have to cultivate that practice unto because our bodies have been conditioned in, in a different way. And the liberation is to find a new way.
the talk shit and do nothing in particular is I th- it, 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 it's a posture of privilege like you can only do that from the seat of privilege oh my gosh and it's just see even the thunder agrees it's just Agreed. so hard Amen. <laughs> uh i i appreciate you using tying together the the terms uh somatic liberation because just recently like week or two ago i've been thinking around these types of things like i broach broach the notion of being alert and attentive to your body not and not merely spiritualizing your faith but when we seek belonging and seek ultimate wholeness then it has to be as you said a wholeness uh an embodied wholeness something you can touch feel but also spiritual but also all these different things the foods right um i was looking specifically for this is going to be kind of ironic because it's me approaching a topic of embodiment through learning, so reading something. But somatic liberation penned by you—you you named um, a black author, and I've looked and found womanist authors, uh, other black authors, I, uh, indigenous authors around this topic. I was specifically looking for stuff penned by Asian writers, thinkers, philosophers, etc., and have yet to encounter them yet. Like uh, in the same way, I might see the emerging content uh, from Black or Indigenous um, writers, thinkers. Um, so anyways, that that's just an aside of where, like, I've been thinking about the exact same things and I was curious if there was something closer to home to my people yeah, and their stories. Um, not yet. So if you have the answers to that, hit me up. Maybe the listener will know. Let's talk about storytelling for liberation uh, because as you draw in, and perhaps you've previewed a little bit more, uh, you've previewed already, as you draw in folks into a journey unto wholeness, is it practice? Is it posture? You use the word storytelling for liberation. Uh, tell us about that project. The project is called My Life, and it's been going for like 30 years. <laughs> Yeah, perhaps not a project. Tell us about yeah. Tell us about your life. Then. No. Yeah, I I think there's like a, a deep womanist value in literature for affirming our ways of knowing. Um, not just womanist, but black feminists. Um, I think of like even black theology. There's something about in a lot of these like fields and ways of thinking philosophies of thinking so often we've had to legitimize legitimize ourselves by saying well like the reason why i say this is a fact is because i have a story to back this up and that's you know just Mm. me thinking about it from an academic standpoint but um even Mm. like me thinking about growing up in my household um and hearing my parents every january 1st as we're eating our Haitian Independence Day soup, um, which is a whole thing. Like my, my dad would tell 
the story of our independence mm. and how the French would not let the Haitians um, like eat the soup because it was a delicacy. So as soon as they, you know, uh, overthrew the French uh, French government there, they were like, we're going to celebrate by eating the soup every year. Mm-hmm. It is the pettiest, mm-hmm. most beautiful celebration yeah. in all of our history. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. <laughs> Petty can be delicious. Right. <laughs> she has a good right. t-shirt. Um, but seriously, it's just, so I, I heard that story and that story made it so it was possible that when I got to school and my the textbooks in our classroom were saying the first sentence of a very short paragraph about Haiti would say, Haiti is the poorest country in the Western hemisphere. I would look at that and Mm -hmm. be like, hold on, that's not the whole story. That's not Mm -hmm. our whole story. There's definitely more to us than that. This has nothing about our independence. There's nothing about our, like the way that um, the slaves organize themselves, the enslaved organize themselves to, um, you know, to strategize for liberation. So just hearing the stories from my parents growing up was enough to make me critical of the stories that were scripted Mm -hmm to mm. help to make me believe that we were worthless. Um, so I truly believe that storytelling is liberation, like it's, it's liberating. And for me and my work, I'm very particular. And I think part of it is because like, I had to hard launch myself out of telling stories that were centering white people and, and the desire to be seen and fully um, acknowledged as human from, from white people in general. Um, without even realizing like all that was, you know, my goal all the time. But in retrospect, I look back and I'm like, who was I writing to? What was I writing for? What did mm-hmm. I really want? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But now when I write, I'm centering the desire to, um, to like build up in particularly black women and femmes who listen to Dear Soft Black Woman um, and in the work that I do through CUNY that extends even further to include a wide variety of, of women of color. And yeah, when I think about who I'm centering, I'm thinking like, like what, do we, what do we need to hear in order to feel the same way that I felt um, when, I, when I looked at those history books and I knew like this wasn't it for us, like this isn't the real story, um, like that there's more to us than this. Um, the stories, like what stories do I need to tell in order for something to hold up when everything outside of you is telling you that you don't matter um, and you have no, you're not significant and you're worthless. So I think that's, that's pretty much it. Um, Sure. There's more I could say about that, but I definitely know the power of storytelling um, has saved my life and changed my life. And, And that's, that's pretty much like why I think it's, it matters and i'd rather tell stories than give answers any day and like i used to my parents used to do it all the time to me and i used to be like oh my gosh all i want to know is why can't i go to my friend's house after school (laughs) and they would just tell me some like really traumatic story about someone who went to their parents house after school and like they i don't know so (laughs) that's one that's a negative example of that but like there are ways (laughs) in which like storytelling one, it's a captivating the imagination. Um, for me, I believe like the stories that I've heard and the stories that I've read growing up, like fuel in me a desire to tell stories. Um, oftentimes when I hear people 
just reporting things as fact. Something about that just like presumes authority in a very like dominating way. And there are moments where you do need to take that authority and that stance to to like rectify a wrong. Um, but when I can use stories to invite other stories, like I would rather do that. The value of absorbing the stories that your parents gave you, imparted onto you, I think is so crucial because regardless of who we are, where we come from, appealing to the stories of our people, not only lays a fabric to speak into our, our identity, um, but it but it does give us firmer foundation, if you will, to make sense of the world around us. Which I, I'm just kind of thinking broadly, which is one of the aspects that whiteness robs in trying to extricate people from their people. When it comes to liberation, where does one start? Here's a question that just came to me. Where does one start in the perhaps reclamation of stories or just learning of stories unto liberation if you don't have that source of your own people? Uh, if you haven't heard many stories from your immediate family, like where, 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 how do you situate yourself? Yeah, it's a good question. And I don't know that I have a cookie cutter answer for anyone, but no. yeah. I can say there are certain things that my, my family's stories did not prepare me for. And one of those things is like the journey of being a first generation college student. Um, there are ways that uh, listening to like podcasts helped me significantly to like bridge that gap where those where I didn't have the stories that I needed to survive in those spaces. And so, yeah, I would say read the stories, enjoy movies and books and things. Um, I think what's interesting about stories too is like, at least when you have certain commitments um, for like what storytelling can do, it also just like makes you a little bit more critical of what makes a good story. So for me, it doesn't matter what mm. the medium is. I just need a good story. Like mm. Mm. for me, a good story is like a good conversation um, versus like a conversation where you like, you know, the person who's asking the questions is trying to like make you like fall into a trap or like say something a certain way. Like for me, the equivalent of that is like one of those like conservative Christian movies <laughs> where like, you know, the, the atheists always has no, I don't know. right some some tragic event happened to them, and then they like yeah suddenly believe in God again, and like all the events are orchestrated to make this person do this. Like, there's just that's terrible storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Period. It's cheap, right? Yeah. So cheap. Yeah. Um, but like to have stories where there's more nuance and maybe some mysteries at the end, some questions at the end. Or, mm. you know, some character development that you just didn't expect. Um, yeah. It mirrors life and it opens up some space for us to us like reflect on ourselves and to realize like, oh, like in the story of my life, um, 
there are things in that happen that don't, don't necessarily have like you know let's say like some significant <laughs> moral lesson attached to it Ooh, this is entering a space of the <laughs> theology and i'm like Ooh, do i want to go there <laughs> mm-hmm, but um mm-hmm. some things are just things um the mundane parts of the story that just are there just to embellish the the rest of it but yeah I remember, I don't remember exactly where how I got to this point, but <laughs> that's where my mind is going now. Is just thinking like, whatever ways you can, just be open to the stories that you hear in podcasts like this one or the books, um, if, in particular in liberation theologies and um, theologies that are speaking from particular identities. Uh, that's a way of telling story and to admit and to center um, unapologetically a particular journey. So, and it mm. doesn't disguise itself as objective or universal or all encompassing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like a lot of white storytelling does. So, yeah. mm. but as uh, many uh, indigenous storytellers will tell you, it is nonetheless true. Mm. I would write more stories uh, without happy endings. Mm. I wouldn't watch them because I don't need that. Mm. But they mimic life perhaps closer. <laughs> more stories without the resolution, more questions at the end as you as you suggested. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because like quite ironically, like most of the movies that I enjoy are the really simple ones that oh, have yeah. happy yeah, endings yeah. and that's mainly because yeah, yeah. in every other area of my life i'm allowing exactly. space for like apps exactly. like, i just if, when i go to a movie i'm like please just let <laughs> yeah I just, just it's got to be good Give okay me the big if i wanted horror i just look outside right like i can't do that my life is this exactly no like it's my three c's to tv success <laughs> cartoons comedy and cooking and so long as you just hang out with those three, you're going to be okay. <laughs> the perception is you'll be watching TV that is, oh, and pottery. Mm. I'm watching pottery now. Whoa. So competitions of baking, the Great British, I don't know why America doesn't have their version, but there's the Great Canadian and the Great British Bake Off, many seasons mm. in America, uh, in Britain. And they have an equivalent show of pottery. And it's just so life-giving. <laughs> like something with watching people create. Yes. And then not tearing each other down in this pursuit of beauty. It's just, anyway. I love that. That, is, that sounds so cool to me. You have offered us so much goodness in this episode. And just teasing and revealing a little bit about the work that you're doing. I want to uh, affirm the things that you're doing in that it, it is guiding us and guiding those who you are serving and working with uh, and are in community with unto the new thing. We always talk about like, uh, we were saying off air, I was saying off air about how we spend so much energy just railing on the center mm. when we got to be spending limited energy and just building the new thing yes. like over here, someplace yes. else. Like, I, I don't know what's going on over here. Let's talk about the new thing. Yeah. And so you gave us little glimpses of that. Uh, share with us with, where listeners can find you uh, online and a little bit of the key work that you can draw folks into. Yeah. 
Um, then, first of all, thank you for having me. This conversation was great. And man, just if I could just sit here and just make jokes with you, like for the next hour, it would be, be wonderful. Yeah, we've got, <laughs> hey, well, let's do it. We'll do it another time. No problem. Um, yeah. So I have a newsletter called A Gentle Landing, and you can find mm-hmm. it at agentlelanding.substack. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. A, it's good. What a I word. got that. I got that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then a gentle landing. A gentle landing yes. for mm-hmm. you know prayers, poems, ponderings. Mm-hmm. Had to do the mm-hmm. alliteration there. Yeah, your poems. <laughs> Thanks. So good. So good. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can follow me personally as Rose J Percy, or um, you can also follow not or and you should just follow me on on all the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you can follow the podcast. <laughs> Uh, Dear Self Blackwing podcast on Twitter and Instagram as well as Dear SBW. So that's Dear Soft Black Women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's about it. <laughs>